Hello, welcome back. My name is Dr. Christopher Gennari, and this is Great Big History Podcast. In this episode, we discuss television and its way of creating an identity for the middle class. Leave it to Beaver, the Brady Bunch, Father Knows Best, Happy Days, Ozzy and Harriet. Now, you should have noticed something. I hope you have had noticed something from all of our examples so far. From the, from the suburbs on to television in the 50s, the 60s, and the 70s. And that is, there's no black people in any of my examples. Why? Why? Well, we kind of talked about it with suburbanization and white flight. It's the idea that there is a new standard of what is middle class. And television will reinforce that standard. Television creates the standard of what it is to be a middle class person. And it is to be white. White, middle class, upper middle class, professional, rich men matter. Family matters and problems are easily solved. Basically, the values that television is promoting is Christian values, old school Christian values. But without the Jesus part. It's honesty. Companionship. Family. Trust. Honor. Loyalty. These kind of things that go back all the way through Western history and Western culture that are seen as the same things you would get when you go to church on Sunday. But they just leave out the Jesus part, and that way it becomes more universal. It's not exclu- It's trying not to be exclusionary. But white, middle-class, rich men matter. Father knows best. He's surrounded by women, and yet he's the one who knows. Happy days, all men. At least Harriet gets to be in the title with Ozzy and Harriet. So how are working class people represented? They are usually ignored by television. Television appeals to the upwardly mobile whites. That's their audience. Because television is trying to sell stuff through advertising. And poor people and working class people don't have stuff. Don't have money to buy stuff. But when TV does center on working class people, who are the vast majority, whether white or black or Latino, they are the vast majority of Americans. Whether it's the Honeymooners, Archie Bunker, Roseanne, the idea is that these families have the same values as middle class people despite their class. And it emphasizes, as other things have emphasized, as the Great Depression emphasized, as the culture in the Great Depression emphasized, they have money problems, but not personal faults. Yeah, the honeymooners, he works hard. He just doesn't have money. He goes to work. He does his job. He's a bus driver. It's a good job. It's an American job. It just doesn't pay. And so many of the great episodes are ones where he's trying to improve himself. 
Go to school. Be, enter management. Stop being just a bus driver, but be the manager of the bus company. Those kind of things. And it's money problems, but it's not personal problems. They are not bad people, which is, again, against the Protestant work ethic. The, uh, the major theme of America is you're poor because you deserve to be poor. You're lazy. You're stealing welfare from the government. But see, you don't say that about working class white people to other white people. And so, again, it's kind of the values of the Depression. It's we understand the system is hard. In the 1980s and the 1990s, we get irony in the American family. The idea is the 50s weren't real. The idealization of the 50s isn't real. So whereas in you had Ozzy and Dick Van Dyke in the 50s and the 60s solving problems. They come home from work, say, hey, Beef, what's the problem? Oh, I chewed all of my bubble gum and now I have no money. Well, let me solve this problem, son. Here's a, a dollar. Now buy some more gum, but only chew once. You don't want to, you know, use it all at once. And it's like, oh, great, dad. And he solved the problem. And then he sits down to a 32-ounce steak, an American beer that his wife has been chilling and a steak she's been cooking for two hours and goes, wow, life is grand. Much like Mr. Banks and Mary Poppins when we started this course five weeks ago. Life was great to be the working man. But by the 1980s, television is starting to say, BS. It's starting to call BS on that. Dad is an idiot. The son is trouble. The daughter and the mom have all of this potential. They're smart, but they're ignored. And that's the story of The Simpsons, Married with Children, Home Improvement. The idea is that it's the reverse of these 50 stories. George H.W. Bush once said, looking at the Simpsons, we're going to keep trying to strengthen the American family, which is good. That's a good value to have. And to make them more like the Waltons than the Simpsons. The idea that the Simpsons have a troublemaker son. A dad who's an idiot. And yet, the response from the Simpsons was that yeah, we're trying to be less like the, we're trying to be, um, we're like the Walt. we are already like the Waltons, I'm sorry. The response from the Simpsons was, we're already like the Waltons, we're waiting for the Depression to end too. Because in the late 80s and the early 90s, America was in a recession. But, here's the weird thing. The Simpsons are strangely retrograde. So George H.W. Bush is saying, we don't want families to be like the Simpsons. And yet, look at the Simpsons. Dad is the only worker. He works at a middle-class job in an American technological company. He's a blue-collar worker in a nuclear factory, nuclear power plant. That's a good American middle-class job. He makes enough money that his wife doesn't have to work. She's a stay-at-home mom who has had three kids. They have one car. They live in the suburbs. 
They go to church and dress for church every weekend, every Sunday. Bart is a rapscallion, yes, but Lisa is a scholar. And in fact, in some of their future episodes, she becomes president of the United States after Donald Trump. So how about that? So she becomes president of the United States. So she has all of this potential, which in the early, late 80s and the early 90s, when The Simpsons got started, she would never have been able to tap into in what was becoming second wave feminism. There wasn't a place for her to shine the way there is now in third wave feminism. They don't need daycare. They're not divorced. Their neighbor Flanders is a born again Christian, an evangelical Christian. They don't curse. They don't use drugs. Homer drinks. Yes, he likes his beer. Like a good American man. He drinks an American beer from the local brewery. No different than Bud or Coors. Remember, we have to go back to the 1990s when these things were actually made by Americans in America for Americans. And they were owned by American companies. And so the Simpsons... Married with children is the same way. They're married. He works, even if it's as a, in a crappy job as a shoe salesman. But his wife doesn't have to work. He makes enough money. He's unsatisfied. But of course he's unsatisfied. He's the lower working class. He's not been able to tap into all the leave at the beavers but he still lives in the suburbs of Chicago. His kids are going to school and are relatively successful. And so even on these tweaks, they still keep up with the idea. Well, how are minorities treated? Television in the minorities is we are American too. That's the overwhelming emphasis on whether it is the Cosbys, the Jeffersons, Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, or Blackish. It is, we are American just like white people. We know you don't see movies and TV shows about us very often, but look at us, we're just like you. Usually, though there was a period in the late 70s with Good Times and Sanford and Sons, usually they are middle class and upper middle class. The Jeffersons are moving on up. Fresh Prince of Bel-Air is in Bel-Air, one of the top 1%. Blackish, they are a, a ad exec and a, what, heart surgeon? Doctor? They are also top 10% in income. And the Cosbys, what is same? He was a obstetrician and she was a badass lawyer, corporate lawyer. They live in a townhome in Brooklyn that, while not part of Manhattan, is now several million dollars today.
So they are middle class. The representations of black people, minorities, are as middle class and upper middle class, as affluent, educated. They come in as either absent or friends on white shows like Friends. Friends is a show about one, two, three, what, eight, six friends and there's no black people. They don't have a black friend. They have a monkey instead. So they're absent at times or they're a secondary character. They're the friend. And ultimately, what the question is, is what does it mean to be X, black, Latino, Native American, whatever that X is, what does it mean? And then you have gender and then you have sexuality. So what does it mean to be a gay black woman in white male dominated America? How do you find space? How do you find that space? Fresh Prince of Bel-Air is an excellent show about that because they found a lot of comedy, especially in that first season. And the difference between Carlton, who has the white name, has the white dance, has the white dress and fashion sense, and Will Smith, who's Philly Ghetto. And so... They played a lot of that for laughs. Ha ha ha. You're not really black. Or the opposite. You're a stereotype of a black person. And you don't have to be that. So um, there was a famous argument early on for Barack Obama of whether or not he was black enough to be America's first black president. Like, you may remember, if you go back to 2010 in the Tea Party, is the idea that he's, he's this African, Kenyan, Muslim, he's non-American. It was, he's too black. He's going to do, he's going to destroy white people. And he's going to allow all of these, these, these minorities to take over. And that was the Tea Party. And that's Donald Trump as well. He made his name as a birther. In politics. And yet, in 2008, when Barack Obama was just starting the run, he's mixed race. His mother's white. He's raised by white grandparents. His father is not descendant of a slave. His father is a Kenyan, naturalized Kenyan. Is Barack Obama black enough to be America's first black president? And that is a serious question in the black community, or was in 2008. And that's what these TV shows are trying to figure out. They're trying to figure out is where do we find, where do we fit in? Where do we, how do, how do we still be us? Black, Latino, immigrant, Asian, in a white culture that wants us to conform, wants us to be them, wants us to be white. 
And so what sitcoms do is through comedy try to find this space, but also introduce white people in non-threatening ways to minority culture, soul food, hip hop, the talk on blackish that black people, that black parents have to sit down with their black sons and go, this is what happens when a cop stops you. This is how you act. The idea of Juneteenth. That these, these things that are ours, we're going to share with you, the white audience that's watching. But it's non-threatening. And in sitcoms, there's always a laugh track and there's a laugh to it. So that you kind of forget just how black the Cosby show is because the audience was overwhelmingly white who watched it. It's not that black people didn't watch it. It's just that more white people were in America and they watched it and they watched it as them. Uh, there's an article today in the New York, in the Washington post about how black families watched the old Roseanne because the old Roseanne in the nineties was about working class people. And there weren't a lot of shows about working class people. And so that black families watch these shows to find people who look like them. So what are the effects? The effects is that TV reflects America as more white, more rich, more educated, more segregated, more straight, more Christian than it really is. Television represents a white culture dominance much more than it is. Much more than it is on the ground in the big cities. In these suburbs. It alters people's perception of wealth and race. The Cosby show in the late 80s is the idea that civil rights worked. You don't need you don't need um, affirmative action. Look at the Cosby's. He's a doctor. She's a lawyer. They live in Brooklyn. And not a crappy part of Brooklyn. A good part of Brooklyn. And so it allows people to think the country is different than it really is. And the blame people for not fitting into that televised stereotype. And ultimately, television is about advertising. Television is about sales. And so the idea is you can live this lifestyle. All you need to do is buy stuff. The product placement. The keeping up with the Joneses. You can be like these people on TV with their Nike shoes. The McDonald's mochiatos, all of the stuff that you see, you can have that. All you have to do is buy it and you can have this good life. So what effect does this all have? This new perception. Well, the first is resentment of not living these lifestyles. You say, I work hard. I work hard. Why don't I have this? Why don't I have this kind of money? Why am, I, why am I not going to Harvard? Why don't I live in a million dollar house? Why? Why don't I have this? And the idea is being rich is easy. And getting rich is easy. Everyone on TV is rich. 
So that poverty is a personal problem. It's your fault. Look at TV. These people are rich. They work hard. They do well. Why aren't you rich? You lazy something or other. You don't need the government. You don't need the welfare state. Actually, those things are taking taxes away from you. They're oppressive. Because they're keeping you by taking taxes away from reaching that lifestyle. This is one reason why the most unhappy people in America are the upper middle class. The people earning one hundred and twenty-five dollars to $250,000 a year. You go, wait a minute, shouldn't that be the poor because they have so little? And you go, yeah, but it's not. Why? Because the poor have so little. And they look around and the people they live with are poor who have so little. And there's no chance of getting more when you live in that kind of poverty. So you're thankful, you're happy for the crap, for not having crap, for just getting through the day, for having those little extras. And this has been since Oliver Twist, since, since, since um, Charles Dickens, the idea of the happy poor people. You know, uh, what's his name in The Christmas Carol? Bob Cratchit. Oh, look, they're poor, but they're happy because they have family. And he's rich. Ebenezer Scrooge is rich and has nobody. So he's unhappy. So the idea is that what television tells you is you can be richer. You could have more. And kind of the most egregious of this is the, is the TV show on HBO, Big Little Lies. In Big Little Lies, the character says, we earn $150,000 a year. Now, that puts them in the 88th percentile of income. That puts them in the top 12%. Great. That's great. That is awesome. You're in the top 12% of Americans. And yet, what house do they live in? They live in a house in Malibu. That is worth $14.5 million, which is a hundred times their earnings. They can't live in that house with that money. They simply can't. And yet, the show presents them as if they are in the top one-tenth of one percent, which is what they would have had to be to buy that house. But they're not. They're in the twelfth percent of Americans. Still, that's almost top 10%. That's that's. That's awesome. You have succeeded in the world if you reach the top 10% of American income families. And yet the television show says, see, this is a family. You could have a house in Malibu on the water, which is gigantic, with an open kitchen, massive stoves. You could have a $14 million house, but it doesn't tell you it's a $14 million house. Because that would ruin the illusion. It just shows them in the house and has one of the characters say, oh, we earn 150000 We're doing okay. Doing okay? You have a $14 million house. Which is a house only the top one-tenth of one percent of people could buy. It's a hundred times their earnings. And so 
since only the top 1% could actually own that house, it equals the unfulfilled expectations of the upper middle class. So here's television that starts as a way of reflecting middle class values. And now it ends with middle class discontentment saying, your life isn't good enough. You suck. And so that's where we'll end. And in our next section, we leave American culture and we go uh, to the world of politics. The Cold War. Thank you.